it's Mind Over Matter this week as we look at how players can get a psychological edge. If you're looking for him on Instagram, John Johnston is the football mindset. He's helped the likes of John Suter, Chris Cadden and Greg Doherty get mentally ready for action at the top end of the game. But John reckons his methods can be applied to any level of football. As a player, he admits he wasn't up to much, but if he'd known then what he knows now, then things might have been a bit different. John joins us on the show this week and we'll talk about some of the techniques you can use to get ahead of your opponent when the game returns. And talking of when the game returns, West of Scotland League fixture secretary Kenny Young is back to tell us exactly when they plan to start their new season. And he's also got some interesting views on the proposals put forwards by Ardross and Winton Rovers. It's all here as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along as we take a look at Scotland's lower leagues. Well, Paul, big re-signing news this week at New Mains by the looks. Uh, I make it 15 players who the club have announced have committed to another season at Victoria Park. You've clearly been pretty busy. Yeah, it's been a busy time. I'm sure it has been for every other manager as well. Uh, 15 boys are signed and I think 18 have committed. Uh, just not managed to get signatures on the other few forms but yeah league's going back it's the moment we've all been waiting for we've waited a long time for this the West of Scotland League is as you said is restarting for me it's you know it didn't start last year did it this is that was just a wee dress rehearsal so yeah I can't wait we're going to get the the bunting and flags out very very soon superb well hopefully it can't be any Tougher a season than, than last season. A uh, quick word for our sponsors, media agency 44 Creative. Not only do they do photography, graphic design, videography, and video editing to help promote your content, brand, organization, or event, they now offer website services too. They make creation personal, and they'd love to hear from you. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com and we'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show, and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. My name is John McHugh, the manager of Shorts Bonacord, and you're listening to Down the Division. Football Mindset, John Johnston is with us this week. Thanks for being with us, John. Thank you for having me on. Been well, looking chat. forward to it since I got asked to come on, so now thank you for having me on. We're looking forward to hear what you've got to, got to say tonight. We'll chat some more in a moment and hear from Kenny Young, but before we do, we've got the Down the Division's decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. I've got the clues this week, and I'm looking for, we'll bring you in on this one, JJ. Uh, I'm looking for the side whose founding fathers were employees at the local colliery. Right. You should get this, Paul, because your man works used to work in the coal industry. Oh, aye. The history of the mining. Uh, they joined the East of Scotland League in 1979 and won it for each of their first four seasons. 
They faced Celtic in the 1995-96 Scottish Cup. And they joined the Lowland League in 2013, but were relegated back to the East of Scotland League six years later. Interesting. You got any ideas, JJ? When you said Celtic, I think that that game was played at Easter Road. Would that be right? Was the game played at Easter Road? JJ's from there. He's from that area. He'll know it. Correct. That's what I've got a few in my head. But That's why I put it in the show. I didn't want to make it too tough for, for him tonight, did I? <laughs> the, only, the only thing I could think of, right, is my father. You're right. He's, a, he's from the mining stock. <laughs> my dad actually generally volunteers at a mining a museum through that way, but I can't remember the town it's in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out the answer at the end of the show. Hi, my name is David Bakey. I'm the chairman of Tayport Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. We have the football mindset, John Johnston, with us this week. So, JJ, we've all seen football in the lower leagues. It can be kick and rush, tackles flying in. It's not always pretty. There's going to be people out there listening to this thinking, how can preparing your mind deal with all that? Tell us. I think the first thing to understand, and whether it's a footballer listening to this or just a kind of general member of the public in relation to their work, I think what is what is absolutely key to understand um, is the inner drives the outer or as I like to say, is the mind drives the body. What we think, what we feel, what we do, it's all driven by that thing between our ears. So if we're talking confidence, the belief, if we talk in a, whether it is confidence, whether it's belief, whether it's self-doubt, all these things come from between the ears. Whether a player decides to cut the ball back, whether he decides to cross it, whether he decides to dink the penalty down the middle, or whether he decides to smash it as hard as he can. Every single thing that a footballer does, everything that he thinks, everything that he feels, and ultimately everything that he does comes from between the ears. It comes through the brain. And I just think that, I think it is, to be fair, I think it is becoming more common. I think that message is kind of getting out there. But so often a player will work on their outer game. Outer game, outer game, outer game. They'll work on their shooting, they'll work on their head, and they'll work on their passing. But confidence, belief, certainty, freedom, all these things are absolutely essential to be able to pass the ball the way that we want, shoot the way that we want, play the way that we want. And if we ignore the inner, I think that the outer suffers from that massively. I mentioned in the intro that you admit you weren't the greatest player yourself. If, if, if you had had what you know now, do you think you'd have been a better player and it would have gone further in the game? A hundred percent, I would have been a, I would have been a better player without a doubt. In my my career, I, I I played with Trinet Juniors for a bit. I played a few games for Trinet Juniors, and then I played a couple of seasons at Ormiston. And if I if I did work on my inner game, a hundred percent, I would have been a better player. How far that would have took me, it certainly wouldn't have took me to the professional game or whatnot. But as a footballer, I was someone that I was scared to make mistakes, and that was throughout like say from say six year old playing up until I played into my twenties I was scared to make mistakes and I used to think before I got the ball don't give it to me don't give it to me don't lose it so I wasn't confident I can I played with fear and I was one of them I was a centre half I loved heading I loved tackling I loved the physical battle but when it came to taking a touch and finding a pass 
aye, I'd go as far as to say I hated it. That was on the park. And people would look at me and my performances and go, he needs to work on his touch, he needs to work on his passing, he needs to work on his composure or whatnot in training. I could take a touch, I could find a pass, no problem in training. But when I crossed that white line, I had the belief that making a mistake was unacceptable. And as long as I held the belief that making a mistake was unacceptable, my lively composure would have been what it was back then. So 100% I would have been a better player, but what level that would have taken me to, who knows. You talk about being afraid of making mistakes as well. We've spoken about things over the over the years, and and the one thing that always stuck with me was was your your kind of way of looking at at almost preparing to deal with the mistake before the mistake has been made, so you know how to deal with it, and then it it hopefully prevents you from making another one because you can put it behind you and move on. And and, and you've also spoken about how. You know, managers are scared about talking to players about making mistakes for fear that they might make a mistake. Can you maybe explain a bit more about that? Because I find that bit kind of quite quite interesting. So an analogy I use with a lot of the players that I work with is the analogy of, say you're about to jump into the car and you're not insured to drive the car, but you're ready to jump in and you think about having a bump. And if I was to say, how's that going to leave you feeling? You'd probably say... It would leave you feeling anxious. It would leave you feeling nervous. It would leave you feeling jittery. And then if you did decide to jump in the car and drive without insurance, you're probably going to drive a lot slower. The car won't drive it, drive to its capacity. And you're focusing on don't have a bump, don't have a bump, don't have a bump. But if I put you through that kind of same situation, but this time you are insured, before you jump in the car, you're probably going to be confident. You've probably got to be pretty certain in yourself. You jump in the car, you drive with, you kind of drive on autopilot, you probably drive with one hand on the steering wheel and you don't have that focus on uh, don't have a bump, don't have a bump, don't have a bump. And if you look at it, both those instances are exactly the same, but in one you're insured and one you're not. And insurance isn't, as much as you get a piece of paper for being insured, being insured isn't anything kind of physical, if that makes sense. Being insured, the only difference is, is you're covered for if you have a bump, i.e. you have a plan for if you have a bump. Granted, there's obviously laws and whatnot that come into place if you drive if you're not insured, but the actual kind of, if we look at the analogy of having a bump in the car, what what the insurance does is it gives you certainty, here's your plan of action if this thing happens. And that's exactly the same for a footballer. If a, so if a footballer walks onto a park and does not think about what if I make a mistake today or if they have a fear of making a mistake and they don't kind of prepare for having the bump, they then drive that car or they then play that game with the don't give the ball away, don't give the ball away, don't give the ball away, don't give the ball away. Why are they thinking like that? Because they're thinking if I have a bump here, if I give the ball away, I cannot deal with it. So what I say to my players is you need to have insurance in place before you go into that park. Because if not, you then play with fear, just like you drive with fear if you did not have insurance. JJ, obviously uh, sports psychology has been around for a few years now. How have you found over the years that players take to it you know players you know a lot of football players uh, do different things to improve the game whether it's yoga and stuff like that but even element of players you know that are sort of egotistical ego driven uh, how do they uh, you know how do they respond to somebody coming in and trying to tell them what to do and how to change their mind well everything that i do or 99% of what i do i work with a player on a one-to-one level um, I've worked through all levels, whether that's... I remember just starting out, worked with kids, parents, coaches, p- 
pub teams, amateur teams. I've worked at basically every level of football, and now 99% of my work is with professional footballers, and I work with them on a one-to-one basis. And the reason I work with them on a one-to-one basis is if I went into a club, to be fair, I've not been asked to go into a club, but if I did go into a club and I'm sitting with the same tracksuit on as the manager, the players are probably thinking... I'm not going to tell him, say it could be a case that I've got an issue with the manager, I'm not going to tell the guy that says a psychologist or he's a, say a mental skills coach, I'm not going to tell him what my issue is in case he goes back to the manager with it. So working with players on a one-to-one basis, if you're working with me on a one-to-one basis, you have an interest in working on your inner game. And some people will say to me, why why don't you go into clubs or why don't you go into a professional club and do what you're doing, what you're doing now? And I'll be honest with that is, one, I've never had the opportunity to, I've never been asked, but two, I could think of nothing worse than standing up in front of 20 boys with six listening. Because let's be honest, if you went into the environment, and it's like anything, it'll be for some, but it won't be for others. So working on your inner game will be for some players, it won't be for others. Uh, Working with me will be for some uh, players and not for others so like say me as an individual comes into that but what I would say with regards to coaching what I would say with regards to working on your inner game nobody needs a coach but everybody would benefit from one that's my true belief that nobody needs to work I was going to say me there but nobody needs to work on their inner game but everybody would benefit from it I truly believe that because there'll be loads of people listening to this that have never worked on their inner game and they're thinking you know what I've got up to this point without working on my inner game. So if you've got to hear it, shows you that you can survive without working on your inner game. But what I would say is working on your inner game can take your confidence, it can take your belief, it can take your performance and whatever you do, whether that's football, whether that's being a banker, whether that's being a baker, whether that's being a coach, it can take your performance to the next level, I believe, because at the end of the day, the inner drives the outer. It's as simple as that. So say there's a a West of Scotland League footballer listening to this right now, what kind of things could you tell them to work at, to look at, to consider, to make them go that extra half a percent, percent? I I think that, I think that the big one, or you have t- you've already touched upon it, I think that's a massive one for players is looking at what could go wrong. And you hear, I remember listening to, now I don't want to divert any listeners away from this podcast, but I remember listening to Joey Barton's podcast and he was talking about, he had went to speak to Harry Redknapp and said, what will we do here if we go 1-0 down? And he, he says that Harry Redknapp says, don't talk about it, you'll jinx it, we might go 1-1 down. And Joey Barton says, I walked out of the room going, that's the exact point. I'm at QPR, we're going to go 1-0 down at some point, whether we want to or not. And when I asked the manager, what will we do if we go 1-0 down? I've been told to ignore it in case in case I jinx it. So what I would say to players, and again, everybody listening to this, not just footballers, but I would talk, that thing that you're, you're scared of or that thing you have a fear around or that thing that you kind of feel uncomfortable about, uncomfort, uncomfortable, about potentially happening, that's the thing that you need to build a response for. So if we think, you know what, what what will I do if this happens? Footballers are notorious for trying to come away from that situation. Footballers are notorious for trying to ignore that situation. But trust me, if you try to ignore it, if there's a fear around it, if there's trepidation around it and you try to ignore it, you'll not be able to silence that voice. It will get louder and louder and louder until you go, you know what, 
here is what I will do in order to deal with it. So again, it's similar going back to the car insurance. What is the bump? And for some people that will be hearing an opinion they don't agree with. For some people that will be uh, losing the ball in the park. For other people that could be they've come up against a winger and he he basically had the better of them the last time they played. What if he gets the better of me this time? So instead of ignoring the worst case scenario, and this is where what really grinds me is everybody's like, it's about positive thinking, it's about positive thinking. Trust me, positive thinking is screwing so many players over. So if you're a winger, or say you're a right back and you're coming up against a winger that got the better of you last time, and people will be like, positively think he won't get the better of you, he won't get the better of you. That's great, but what if he does get the better of you? So you can sit there and be as positive as you want, but if that thing that you're trying to be positive about actually happens, where does that leave you? So instead of, can he, instead of going with this positive thinking, I go more along the lines of helpful thinking. What if he does go by you? What if he is quicker than you? What if he is stronger than you? Because that then means you need to build the response in order to deal with it. If you have the response, it means, you know what, I can deal with it. It's then a case of you can walk onto the park with more confidence and more freedom because you're like, you know what, if I have a bump here, I know what I'll do in order to deal with it. So positive thinking is actually screwing players over, whereas I would come more from the point of view of helpful thinking. What if it does happen? I just want to dig a little bit deeper on that, JJ, because... We live in a world of self-help. We live in a world of, you know, books and podcasts and well, everyone's encouraged to, you know, visualise, see it. If you see it, you'll believe it. And really roundabout positive thinking. Can I just dig a little bit deeper than that? Where you, you were saying it's not really so much about positive thinking. Aye, I know, definitely, because positive thinking could be a case, if we can say we'll go to football with it, and the example I gave earlier was if you come up against a winger that you think is quicker than and stronger than you and you positively think, no, he won't be quicker, he won't be stronger. What if you do get on the park and he is quicker and he is stronger, but you try to positively think that that's not going to happen? Or if you go, you know what, you walk out onto the park and you might have the thought of, what if we go 1-0 down? And then you positively think, we won't go 1-0 down, we won't go 1-0 down. Five minutes in, you're 1-0 down. Where's that positive thinking got you? That positive thinking ultimately is going to have a kind of knock-on effect, didn't he? And go, it'll make you feel worse at that point. So I think from my point of view, what, what would you see as the reverse of that, and how you and, and how you deal with that? Is it a case of you just you just don't think of that? And then I'm thinking that from Madge's point of view to a to a player, you know, is it having a plan to deal with him if he is bigger and stronger? Is that weird? One hundred percent. So if you've got a guy that you think might be quicker and stronger than you, as opposed to trying to positively think that he won't be quicker, he won't be stronger, it's actually what I would say is helpful thinking is, well, what if he is quicker? What if he is stronger? Do you drop a yard? Do you drop two yards? Do you get touched tight? So instead of trying to positive think that this situation will not happen, you're actually coming from a, I'd call it more helpful thinking, Here's what I'll do if this thing does happen. And I was, I was, I remember, um, told this story just a few weeks ago. I remember speaking to a client of mine, and I don't normally talk. I have contact with clients of mine on the day again, but I remember a, a client of mine, um, and I had a conversation. It was actually a phone call on the day again, and he's like, "I'm feeling terrible here." He's like, "I'm, I'm trying to positively think," and he says, "I'm actually feeling worse." So basically, he was. He had a fear, he had a bit of fear or trepidation around something happening in his game. And he's like, I'm trying to positively think myself out of this situation and it's not happening. 
and basically had a belief running in the background that if I make a mistake here, all my teammates will think that I'm garbage. So that's what was basically coming for other people's opinions. So he was trying to positively think that this won't happen, this won't happen, this won't happen. But there is a real possibility if you do make a mistake, or 100% there's a possibility you will make a mistake in a game, and 100% there is a possibility if you make a mistake, somebody might not think that you're great. So instead of hiding for the fact that, you know what, I'll just pretend this won't happen, or I'll just try to positively think that this thing won't happen, he had to deal with, well, see, what if it does happen? So you're actually looking at what if it does happen, because if you can look at what if it does happen and you've built your response and know I can deal with it, it then creates freedom around the situation. So instead of trying to hide for the fact that it might happen and trying to positively think yourself out of the situation, because listen, you might get away with it, try to positively think yourself out of the situation and you know what, it doesn't happen, you've got away with it. But what if you try to positively think yourself out of the situation and it does happen? Where's that going to leave you? Paul, where does that leave you as a manager? It's getting that across to players, isn't it? I suppose that's why I'm I'm not I'm not trained in that field, but I I, I get 100% what you're saying. And as JJ was talking, I'm actually thinking about not in a sporting environment and in, in a life, you know, a environment, you know, whether it's pressures at your work and stuff like that. What is it that worries you at your work? How do I, how do, I do instead of worrying about the work is what am I going to do to put in place to kind of prevent that from happening? So as JJ was speaking there. That's what I that I was taking it more out of the sporting environment and putting it into probably my own life a little bit. Hundred percent. And I I can again let's use another analogy. Before you jump up before a plane takes off, what is the last thing that the stewardesses do or the stewards do? What will they go through? Yeah, they go through the safety checks. Go through the safety checks. Now, they're not saying that we want this plane to come down. They're not saying that this plane will come down, but they're saying if the worst case scenario happens, here is what we will do. And the thing is that these safety checks or they can put the point to the fire exits and whatnot, that I don't know how many flights go across the world each day. There must be hundreds, if not thousands, that can that safety check or those can um procedures, they're going through them thousands of times a day. And most days a plane doesn't fall out the sky. So they're not thinking, oh, the probability of this plane falling out the sky is very, very low, so we'll no bother doing it today. They do it regardless. So you can plug that into your work life. You can plug that into football. So, like, say, obviously, you're a manager of a team. And regardless of how good the team is, even if it's Glasgow Rangers, if it's Glasgow Celtic, no matter who it is, they'll fall 1-0 down at one point. They will make Their players will make mistakes at some point. They will be under the cosh at some point. But if you've never thought about, imagine playing in front of 60,000 people and you're trying to work out the answer to, what if we go 1-0 down here? What will we do? Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. Of course, it's not impossible to work out the answer in front of 60,000 people. What will you do? But sure as hell, if you've done a wee bit work beforehand, you've got your safety procedure or your insurance in place, you've got a greater chance of being able to implement it if you went through it as opposed to trying to work it out in front of 60,000 people. And I think that that is something that, not just in football, but in life, but again, take it back to the football, very rarely, and I granted, I know some managers listening to this will only be with their team Tuesday, Thursday, but certainly at a professional level, clubs never ever go through, what if we go 1-0 down here? What if we give the ball away? What if we're camped on the edge of your box? Clubs very, very rarely ever go through, what if this goes wrong? When your team's confident, when your team's fully belief, They'll pop the ball about, they'll do what you're asking them. 
but it's when they go 1-0 behind. It's when they get a man sent off. It's when something goes wrong and they can, uh, they put pits the fans, so to speak, that's where it all goes wrong. But very, very rarely in life or very rarely in football do we ever talk about that. We just cross our fingers and hope it doesn't happen. It's good points, Paul. I mean, did, do you go through that with your squad or is it something that actually, you know, this talk makes you think about different different techniques and different different uh, ways of putting your message across? It certainly opens your eyes. I think as a manager, we've all got a plan in our head. Sometimes you train a... Uh, if you've got a man sent off, which is kind of, happens quite a lot during the game, you get a man sent off, how do we prepare? Right, if one of our players gets sent off today, how are we going to do that? And, you know, and we do stuff like that. In terms of, you know, uh, what happens if we're 1-0 down? Yes, certainly things like that uh, that we can look at as managers, definitely. Likewise, what if we go 1-0 up? What if we go 1-0 up? How... How, how's the game going to change then if we go 1-0 up? You know, because the game does. I always say to our players, there's a 15-minute spell in every single game where the opposition will have a will, will have a, a chance or will be on top for that period. Likewise, and most managers will tell you, in the last maybe 10 minutes of every game, the game starts getting stretched. So how do you combat that when these things happen? And that's part of... That's, that's my job as a manager, you know, to, to to work out what we're going to do in that situation. But do I actively say, would I do for 1-0 up? I, I, I probably don't know. And I think as well, when you, what's quite common is if you go 1-0 up, what's your defence do? Drop 10 yards back. So everything that you've just done to go 1-0 up, quite often, whether it's defenders or midfielders, we then camp in. We sit back 10 yards. So the things that we've just done to go 1-0 up, I just sorry to interrupt you. There's also a start round about that, isn't it? I think where you're most likely to concede the goals just after you've scored. So yeah. that, 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 would, that would answer coming with, with you sitting there. Aye, so you your teams went 1-0 up, and if you drop 10 yards back, everything you've done to go 1-0 up, you've then can a, you're thrown out the window to drop 10 yards back. Whereas if you think ten, dropping 10 yards back, granted there's game management and whatnot, but if dropping 10 yards back is the best thing to do, why were you not doing it for the kickoff? And it's like going into the last five, ten minutes of a game, and you've got you've got teams right. Let's just shell it long. Last ten minutes of the game, or let's stick the centre half up. Last ten minutes of the game. If the centre half gone up front is the best option to score in the last ten minutes, why did you not stick the centre half up front for kickoff? Now again, somebody might have yeah. the answer for that, but I see it all the time. It's like let's stick the centre half up front, and I'm like, well, if you're doing it for the last ten minutes, why have you not been doing it last eighty? Which would maybe indicate that it's not actually the best option and you're just kind of clutching at straws hoping something happens. In regards to the stat, I'll be honest, I've not heard the stat, but that, you're most vulnerable or obviously the stats, as you're saying, the numbers back up, but is that actually true that you're most vulnerable after you've scored the goal to concede or is that just coming for a story? Is that just a story that, it's like the same football, a goalkeeper should never concede at his near post. I remember when I was in goals at the school, Try to get down to my near post. I was never a goalkeeper, but try to get down to my near post was certainly a lot harder than try to get to the far post. So are these things, like, say, you're most susceptible, granted the the stats in that are backing it up just now, but is that genuine or is that just coming from the story of, oh, well, you're most susceptible after the first 10 minutes after you score a goal? Mm -hmm. Is that something that's real or is that something that we've just kind of 
condition players to believe. Because I was speaking to a guy today, and he was saying, I was speaking to him like, see what holds him back for playing at his best. He says, one thing that holds me back for I'm playing at my best is, I've always been taught that in a game it's a lot more frantic than in training. And he says the manager's message is like, you never get more than two seconds on the ball. You need to play it. You never get more than two seconds on the ball. He says, I've went through my last few games. He says, our training is at a lot higher speed than the actual game. But he says, I've I've been conditioned. Now, granted, he's conditioned himself, but with messages for managers and that, he says, I've conditioned myself to believe that the game is actually quicker than training. And he says, I'm looking at my clips. He says, I'm looking at the game 100%. It's not parks are bigger it's not as tight in, than in training and whatnot and but he says i've just i've conditioned myself or other people have influenced me to condition myself to believe that the game is actually quicker than training he says it's no but that's preventing me playing at my best as it stands aj you brought uh, you brought out a book recently master your confidence the elite footballers guide to high performance available from all good amazon stores i believe yeah that was my that was my kind of lockdown. That was my lockdown project. When um, I remember driving along the road and I was listening to talk sport with Jim White was on and I think he had the Forest Green chairman or the Peterborough chairman on and it was just as the English leagues were closing or they had closed. And I was like, whoa, that's no great for myself with business. I thought I've still got the Scottish leagues. And then obviously the old firm got cancelled later that day and the Scottish league stopped and straight away I was like, whoa, that's... That's no great. So for half a day, kind of felt sorry for myself. I thought, like, see, my business, it's got to be really, really tough. Eh, no footballer would need to work on their inner game during lockdown. And then I woke up the next again day. I'm like, is that actually true? And then again, not just football, but people in life. To get to this point, to get through lockdown, it's it was a mental journey. So if ever, I was telling myself originally that no footballer would want to or need to work on their inner game if they weren't playing. And that was complete lies. If there was ever a time for a footballer to work on their inner game, it was in lockdown. So I've kind of built the narrative that in struggle, there's opportunity. And I think that in lockdown, the struggle was always got to find us. And the opportunity I took was to write a book. So I took, what, four hours? Three days, four hours each day. So in 12 hours, I wrote the book. Um, but through the book, I've also, I've also interviewed quite a lot of current and ex or former professional footballers. Because one thing... I can bring tools and I can bring knowledge and I can bring results from clients, but the one thing that I can't bring and I'll never claim to bring is the experience. So like say interviewing John Collins about hitting the penalty against Brazil, I could never bring that experience or talking to him about training with Henri and Trezeguet and whatnot at Monaco or talking to Lee McCulloch about what he'd done when he was when he was experiencing pressure in an old fun game or Michael McGovern, obviously he was Northern Ireland's goalkeeper at the 2016 Euros. That's all experiences that I could never bring. So with the tools and whatnot, hopefully the the interviews from these guys and some are clients, some have never been clients, some are just friends that I've kind of built up along the way, and um, hopefully they kind of complement what is found in the book. It's a really it's a really good read and and kind of goes into some of the things you've already spoken about there, obviously in a lot more detail as well. One thing in there you mentioned, I think, is it I, the ice head? Am I remembering that rightly? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess some of what you've spoken about already could feed into that kind of uh, I said thing, but maybe tell us a bit more about that and where that comes in. So, 
So I think, I always say to clients that you don't know what you don't know. Self-awareness is king. So if a client's not sure of how they're thinking, if they're not sure of how they're feeling or what they're thinking, what they're feeling, it's very, very hard to change that. So for me, if we look at an ice head, that's where someone's calm, that's where they're cool, that's where they're confident. And then the opposite of a nice head is obviously a fire head. A fire head is where someone is... Well, you know what? Instead, I'll give you an example. Would be like a South American, whether that's like a Suarez example, or obviously Morelos over the last, maybe not so much the last couple of years, but certainly when he first came to Glasgow Rangers, Morelos, I'd say he experienced firehead. But as much as firehead can be on the front foot, maybe leading to a sending off or whatnot, firehead can also be a footballer going into their shell a footballer that knows they want to play forward, but they're playing back, so they've kind of got the shackles on. So just helping a player understand, are you in firehead or are you in icehead, it's massive. Because if they're experiencing firehead, they're probably not going to be playing to their full potential. And if they're experiencing firehead in a park and they're aware of it or within a game, they can then make steps in order to change that. And again, talking about what or bringing it back to what we spoke about recently or earlier, the way to go into a firehead would be, say, sitting in a changing room before a game. My example, what if I make a mistake today? I used to try and silence that voice and it never worked. The voice got louder and louder and louder. That was me experiencing firehead. And then what what firehead looked like for me in a game was take a touch and then I'd kick the ball up in there and it would come back down with snow on it. Instead of taking a touch, finding a five-yard pass, I wasn't composed because I wasn't an ice head. But I was very kind of erratic and whatnot because I was in a firehead. So... Fire and ice, the simple kind of reason for having those labels is just to create a self-awareness of where am I here, where am I just now? Because if I'm in a ice head, great, let's keep doing what I'm doing. Whereas if I'm in a if I'm in a fire head, I need to make a change. You got many fireheads in your dressing room, Paul? I've got a cool manager. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've got a coach as well, Bally. Oh, we're all fireheads. We're all fireheads on times. But do you know what? Likewise, oh, you can be a nice head, can't you? I mean, there's times where you know things are going on round about you and somebody has to just take that wee step back and say, right, let's have a look at the situation round about us and what's going on. Because whilst one person's going off and on a rant or doing stuff, especially, I mean, the, anybody who's listening to this sits in a dog out on a Saturday, a referee's decision can turn you from a nice head making, you know, good decisions, calculated decisions within the game. Yep. To your mind, well, to, to getting sent off, literally getting sent off and put to the stand within literally a couple of seconds. So, Well, is, is there not something in that, though, JJ? It's, 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 I say easy, easy is maybe the wrong word, but, you know, you can sit here and, and analyse it when, we're, when people are sitting down discussing it. It's not the heat of the moment. The referee's just not made a mistake or whatever's happened has happened, and it's the red mist has come down. How do you go about making sure you don't become the firehead? As in, as in, because you ninety nine times out of hundred in that situation, you haven't got time, or you're the firehead before you've even thought about whether you're the firehead or not. Yeah, I think that if we take the example of a referee's decision, what we spoke about earlier, having that insurance. Referees decisions will go against us. Referees decisions will go against you. There will be calls that 
referees are like everybody, they make mistakes. Um, so again, we could potentially build a response to be able to handle a poor refereeing decision. Um, that could be something whereas, whereas where you, basically what you want to do is respond as opposed to react. But if you've not got that response built, you're probably going to go to reaction. But I think one of the, the massive things when you're entering firehead or before you enter firehead, I think breathing is absolutely massive. And breathing's another thing that in football, I think in 10 years' time, 15 years' time, somebody's probably got to go, oh, breathing's a massive part of performance. Breathing's got to be the next kind of thing that will take the performance to the next level. I think that the benefits of breathing and breathing well um, in regards to performance, I think that they are they're probably not fully realised just now. Because when you think about it, when you're when you're kind of when you're stressed you'll be tense you'll kind of your your breathing will be a lot shallower whereas when you start to take deep breaths it allows you to center yourself it allows you to think about what you're going to do and then it obviously relaxes you right jj i'm gonna play devil's advocate right and i'm not doing this to try and be clever or smart or or, or whatever but on, well, there's two things on a saturday I'm, I'm forever. Billy, who's my coach, will constantly be ranting at the referee and I'm pulling Billy in. Rain it in, Billy, rain it in. That actually keeps me calm. That actually keeps me calm because I'm saying to him, Billy, just leave it. Let it go. But see when that decision does happen and that penalty is given against you and you know it's clearly not a penalty. See, right at that moment in time, I ain't breathing. I ain't standing at the side. I ain't, I ain't standing at the side because as much as Breathing and improvement and and you know all that kind of stuff that goes around with self help. At that moment and that's happened there and then. See the voice in my head, JJ. Honest to God, that's <laughs> it's no nice. <laughs> I, no, but the thing is, you obviously that there is a well, maybe not at that exact moment. It's a choice, but that sort of as we are we're using language there. I'm no breathing. I'm no doing this. I'm no doing that. And that, like say, to not do it or to tell ourselves we won't do it. If we tell ourselves we won't do something, we won't do it. Whereas we can, whether it's change our beliefs around referees' decision, whether it's the breathing before that kind of point, there's things that I think that we can put in place because at the end of the day, there'll be managers up and down the country that decisions go against them and they'll no go mad at a referee. Now, I'm not saying going mad at the referee is right or wrong, but there is managers out there that might take a deep breath. There is managers out there that won't react. And again, I'm not saying reacting is right or wrong, but 100% it is possible. And I believe anybody can get a referee's decision against them. Because I even look at myself. I used to be someone that I remember going to games, whether it was Anfield, whether it was Easter Road. I, Liverpool used to score goals. I'd have my clothes off. I'd have my shoes off. I'd be gone mental at officials. I can now sit at a game. Now, granted, it's... It's kind of different in the role that I'm in now. I can now sit and watch a game. And I, I'll not go up or down with it. And again, that's obviously me changed over time. I'm not saying that that change is right or wrong. It's good or bad. But how I used to watch a game years ago, the emotional attachment to it I had was absolutely massive. Whereas now, I watch it completely differently. And again, I'm not saying what way is right or wrong. But 100%, I believe that anybody can make a change. I, I get that as well in terms of, you know, out with that situation where you can. I mean, as I say, there's nobody who can guard to tell you more into self-help and stuff like that over the last decade than myself, and I've looked at various different things and done a lot of reading round about self-help. 
And yeah, I, I totally agree. You can change. You you can change. You can make conscious decisions in your life to do whatever you want. But we're talking about Icehead, Firehead, and that split decision when the mind in your head that you're not even thinking about breathing because so, you're so involved in that game. You know, I, I, I get it, and maybe. Like, out, out with that situation and, you know, you look at life and say, right, I'm going to start doing this and I'm going to start doing that. And uh, cold water exposure is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People do that and people are heading to the house and find real relief and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm taking this back into the, the sporting arena where that decision's happened and it's just cost you and it's cost you three points. And you know what? That three points could be your job on, on a Saturday, you know. That's another defeat. You know, where's this? You know, where's this going? You can lose dressing rooms. I, I'm just thinking at that point, that split second, it's very, very difficult to change that. That because because you're not thinking about the the the, the breathing, you're not thinking about the stuff that goes round about. Yep. It, you're actually in that moment. hundred percent, as you say, it's no easy. Well, or some people will find it easier than others. Um, again, they'll be take the guy up at Ross County, the guy Kettlewell that lost his job. How many managers would have came out five minutes after they'd lost their job to give the interview to say, I've just been sacked? Mm. Some managers would have been tossing over tables. Some managers would have been gone mental. Some managers might have been in tears. But he decided to come out and do the interview. And again, I think that it's certainly no easy. Obviously, he felt that that was was right for him. But if I say, if you take it back to a referee's decision, if I say to you, right, if if you don't speak to the referee today, regardless of the decision, I'll give you a million pounds. You'd probably be like, I could go about speaking to him today. <laughs> which shows you are capable of it. But granted, if, if I'm not offering you a million pounds, which I'm not, it then does make it that bit more difficult. But I do believe that every... Now, I'm saying, like, say the shouting at the referee or the no shouting at the referee or the getting up to 90 or no getting up to 90, I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong because I think there is times that it does help. I think that there is times that teams do need it or boys do need blasted. But there'll be other times that I'd say it's probably unhelpful. We'll go back to the million quid because I'm going to take you up on it. But no. <laughs> right, okay. You're talking, you turn around and say to me, right, Paul, there's a million pounds before the game. Well, mindset's different then. You're not talking to the referee because you're sitting on the dugout, not really giving a, a, a exactly. dab. Do, do you know what I mean? So that's your insurance policy. That's like talking to me. You said. Yep. You've got your insurance, you've not. If somebody's offering you, you know, a, a lot of money or some real incentive, then your mind's actually not on the job that you're doing anyway. So, as you say, like, say, with that million pounds, your mindset's different. And that probably full circles on it, 100%. So for whether it's a coach to stop shouting at a referee, whether it's me to stop shouting at a referee at a game, it's changing that mindset. Now, again, to stress it once again, I'm not saying that shouting at the referee is right or wrong. And somebody has got to want to make a change in order to do it. But 100%, if there's a coach out there that's shouting at a referee that thinks they can't stop shouting at a referee, 100% they can. It'll probably involve changing beliefs. It'll probably involve looking at what they think around certain things or around certain decisions. But 100%, a behaviour can be changed. But the big thing is, do you want to change the behaviour? Some people will, some people won't. But 100%, I believe that all behaviours can be changed. But if you're a manager who, say for 30 years, has shouted at a referee every single game, 
you're no going to click your fingers and he's kind of year 31 got to stop shouting at the referee but 100% over time if he wanted to change I truly truly believe that he can make that change well, it'll be interesting to monitor Paul's uh, the state of Paul's head, whether he's nearer the, the ice head or the fire head once uh, once the season starts. Paul, what do you think? I'd be more interested in monitoring my heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Tommy Sloan, Auchinleck Talbot manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Well, I'm delighted to say the West of Scotland League fixture secretary, Kenny Young, joins us now. And Kenny, I believe you have some good news for those wondering when your new season will start. Yes, Gareth, uh, we have indeed. Uh, we had a meeting uh, of the West of Scotland uh, board and we spoke about various things and one of the main topics was when are we going to get football restarted at our level and we have decided on the date of Saturday the 17th of July Uh, and with good reason for that we've got a very uh, loaded fixture list to get through for next season so that gives us two or three weeks of a, an extra start and it'll give me an opportunity to kind of front load a lot of these fixtures uh, in the July, uh, Saturdays and Wednesdays and get us a good uh, start to the, to the season. And I guess the, the question everybody's asking, will there be fans in there? I know that's a... That's something out of your hands, but has that been taken into account? Is the start date, the fact it's the summer season? Um, well, the, the way things have been progressing, I mean, just the other day there, we've we, we seen that the uh, restrictions were uh, brought forward a wee bit, and uh, we're now able to travel throughout the country. So we're hoping that we're going the right route, and that uh, by the time we do get to that point, we will have, uh, and if it is just a basis of uh, a percentage of your capacity, then I still think that will be fine for our level of football. And as long as, and if we have to maintain two metre distancing, then I think, again, our level of football will be able to manage that with uh, relative ease. So we are hopeful that we will see fans back through the gates and we're back to playing normal football uh, the the date for uh, contact training is the 17th of May and we haven't had any news whether that is going to change so when we get to 17th of May that obviously lets us get back to training and obviously lets the teams arrange some friendlies and get the, the, the boys up to be match uh, ready for the season kicking off in July. Three months tomorrow, Paul, as we uh, as we go out on Friday the the sixteenth of April. You're not going to sleep for the next three months now, knowing that uh, that start date's a good one. Do you know it's absolutely fantastic? As I, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that uh, you know the boys re-signing and looking forward to getting back, and we've now got a target date, and it actually and. Maybe rightly or wrongly now feels like 
but in normality returning to life. You don't want to rush in and say that, and things could change again, obviously. What happened the last time with the pandemic, but do you know what? It's a wee target, and you know if we can get our fans back in and get into the dressing rooms, because that was huge as well last year, not getting in the dressing rooms. You know, we we new players coming in and not bonding, but it certainly gives a great excitement to the start of. Well, let's face it, this is the for me, this is the start of the West of Scotland League. Last year was a wee dress rehearsal, so yeah, everybody's good to go. And I guess the, I mean, this is fairly hot off the press, if you like, because we've gone to air tonight, so we've 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 not had too much. Uh, chance to look into it uh, a lot, but Adros and Winton Rovers have uh, put a proposal together um, based on pulling the conferences together geographically for for the coming season. Um, well, I'll come to you first, Paul. Your, 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 your thoughts on it? Have you had a chance to look at it in, in detail? I have. I, and it's quite apt that Kenny's on the show because I've got a couple of questions for Kenny around about it, to be honest. Uh, I have read it, and I think it was Stevie Wilson at Adros and Winton Rovers has put this out. And first and foremost, and this is my disclaimer, it's a well-written proposal. He's thoroughly researched it, basically down to the mileage of every team who's got to travel. And when I first read it, I thought, hmm, that's really good, and... I wasn't sure if it could work or not, but I'm I'm certainly not for it, and I'm certainly not against it. I'd like to explore it a little bit more, but one or two things that is probably pushing me against it would be when the leagues were set up originally, the SFA, and Kenny will be able to correct me on this, I'm sure the SFA says, providing we reverted back to our uh, structure, which was the, the three conferences, then we would only have to play another year at conferences, then we could go into our linear leagues. Uh, I would think if there was a change now, possibly the SFA wouldn't maybe approve that. And the thought of playing two years in conferences, and I'm speaking for my own club, New Mains, wouldn't suit us, I don't think. We want to get back to the level that, that, that we find ourselves in at that. Also, one of the other things that was possibly against it for me would be we go into regional leagues. We say next year we, we, we do split into the linear leagues. So that would be four leagues. And, and for the listeners to try and get your head around this, it's got to be four leagues. Uh, and so each uh, league, so the last, we'll use Lanarkshire as an example. So there would be the teams in there. That would then get quartered. So the top, so the top teams would go into the Premier the next ones would go into the championship, and then the next ones would go into League One and League Two, which means all the Lancashire leagues are then split up. So for short-term gain in terms of not travelling, further down the line, we could be, you know, a few years away forever getting back to near our Lancashire teams. So, so, so things like that for me personally. But I want, you know, I want to say, you know, Stevie's put a, a great thing out. But Kenny, you're on the show tonight, and, and one of the things I want to ask you is, I've seen that you had come out. I'm not saying you were in, in, in favour of it, but you certainly mentioned that it would make your life easier if we went into regional leagues. Is this something that you support, and is it something that the league would support? And if, come the end of the, the conferences, could even the Premier League be in jeopardy if 
we've got to change the structure again? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I'll, I'll start with your last part first. Uh, the Premiership is not going to change. That is set in stone, if you like. That's going to be running with 20 teams with seven relegations at the end of the season. The conferences, we have set up conferences based on seeding that was taken from the baseline of the last set of uh, leagues in the West Region junior setup. And the teams that were there were all seeded as in Shots was seed number one, Renfrew was seed number two, Nielsen seed three, Kosai seed four, and all the way down to uh, Salcots at seed 42, Luger at 43, and Ardeer at 44. That was the 44 teams we had, plus the teams that came in from out with the juniors. So they were seeded in such a manner that allowed us to base the conferences based on merit. And that is that is what we prefer to stick to. Uh, and we have discussed this at length with the, the West Region Board. And we are 100% behind the belief that the leagues, the divisions and the conferences should be set up based on that merit of uh, seeding. Now, the statement that came out from the Addressing Winton Rovers proposal. I have been misquoted on that and I'm quite dismayed about it. I'm upset about it. They've used half a quote that I used and we had a meeting with them on the Monday night where they put their proposal to us and asked us for our thoughts on it. We gave them our thoughts and explained to them that we want to stick to what we have promised the clubs and what we have promised the SFA that we will go back into the Premier Division and the three conferences that were set up away at the very beginning. And the SFA told us they will be happy to roll things over because they were only committed to us playing conferences for one season. But because of COVID coming in and halting the season, They've allowed us to carry that forward with a rollover of what we have. I don't think it will sit too too nice with them if we then get back in and say we want to change things round about. Now, the quote I said at the end of that meeting, near the end of that meeting, I was trying to relax things a wee bit with, with quite a lengthy discussion. And I was trying to relax things a wee bit. And I made a comment. I said, listen, guys, regionalisation would suit me because it would be easier for me to fix up Wednesday night fixtures without having to worry about distances being travelled. But I am 100% behind the fact that we should base these on the merit of the, the finishing leagues and the seedings that we came to. Now, they went, uh, they went and put this out on their, their proposal, and the reading of it will give the impression that I support that proposal. 100% I'm not supporting that proposal in any way. And I'm really no happy that they've used that and used that and misquoted me and used that uh, to to try and gain, or try and put a bit of credence behind the proposal, which I think is uh, a bit underhand. 
Clearly, Kenny, you're obviously quite passionate about that, and we can see it from you that that maybe it's kind of annoyed you a little bit. But from my point of view, just as you're talking there, I'm I'm actually now thinking, and 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 I'm sure that Adrosian can can address this as well. But two things: first of all, our players at New Mains, whilst it was all done in terms of mileage from New Mains to wherever they're, they're traveling. A lot of our players are Glasgow-based as well. So actually traveling, some of the distances are actually closer to away games than home games. So that, I mean, and I'm just talking out loud here. Uh, and my other point there was, if we do go into regional leagues, and, and I'll use a Drossen because they're the guys that's put the, the, the proposal to us. If a Drossen suddenly have a bad conference that year in their region, then they, they could find themselves in a much lower division, as they will if they play in conferences now. But it might take them a, a lot longer to get back up because they're like in a shorter conference. Ayrshire, there's not as many Ayrshire teams. I, I wouldn't think there's as many Ayrshire teams as West of Scotland, or the, the rest of the setup. And I'm saying this talking out aloud eh, in terms of the, the, the travelling and stuff like that, Kenny. I, I believe I believe that's right, uh, Paul. Uh, my belief is that the 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 system that we have uh, is to try and give the three conferences an equal balance of having no, no disrespect here, but uh, a balance of good teams, average teams, and poor teams. Now, what we're hoping happens is that the 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 good teams will progress to the top and become first division. The average teams will be in the second division and the poorer teams will be in the third division. Now, that then makes those three leagues very competitive within the three leagues, whereas every team will be playing teams around them of equal ability. So there'll be no big gaps in ability. There'll be no big eight nothing, seven nothing score lines that will be It'll be two ones and three net and, and three ones and all that kind of thing. Teams will be tighter together and it'll make the, the, the three leagues more competitive. Now, if, as you say, uh, a, a team that would that would be looking at the conferences that we have, they might be thinking we'll finish in, in Division 1. Now, if you set them up and the conferences aren't balanced properly, they could end up in Division 3. And if they end up in Division 3, you know what's going to happen. Players are going to look for the door because they know what to play in Division 3 when they think they're a Division 1 player. So it might take more than two years for them to get to back to where they should be. So we want to base it on merit, on ability, not geography. I think one of the things for me as well, and as I said at the beginning of this, I've only read it today, and I've read it quite a bit. Uh, we knew you were coming on, so, you know, I try, I try to look at it, uh, you know, a, a little bit more in depth. And as I say, I'm, I see more against it than I do for it, but I'm still very open-minded to say, you know, could could, could this work? Just, just just to give you a wee bit more on it, Paul, the way I think of it, the way, and I, I believe this is the way the, the, the management board think on it. If you take, for instance, I mean, they're placing a lot of value to this, mileage cost that they're talking about. Now, as you know, there's no very many teams have a lot of players from their own actual 
town or village. And if you take, for instance, in your case, you've got uh, new mains. Uh, new mains are going through to play Renfrew, for instance. That's in one of your. That's one of your teams. Now, you're not going to tell your players to travel to new mains so that you can travel back to Renfrew. You're going to tell your your boys that are based in Glasgow. We'll see you doing it Renfrew. So how can you base mileage being from New Mains to Renfrew when most of your players won't travel that mileage? How's it how's it left though, Kenny? What's going to happen? A, a, a team like New Mains getting to vote on this? Is it something that the league's just going to either take forward? Or the league could could potentially the league kick this out? I mean, I don't know the the, the processes and procedures here. Uh, one thing well, I do, I know there is there is teams out there, because I think with Paul Kelly on the, the show who'd mentioned regionalisations before, I think Gart Cairn, you know, teams like that have been quite vocal about different structures. So how, how's this got to go forward? Because I would hate to, I'd hate to be, you know, looking really forward to the West of Scotland starting, as we just mentioned there, and then all of a sudden, oh, we've got to go through changes again. We're all we're all looking forward to getting back playing, Paul. I can I can assure you that we're all looking forward to get back to standing in the terrace and shouting abuse at referees and the the, the I don't think you can say that, Kenny. No, 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 no. I, I deal with it. I deal with the people that do that. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, no, but you see the the thing we spoke about last year. With some of the teams that you're mentioning, regionalisation wouldn't have been so bad last year because there were no, there were going to be no end product last year. There were no promotion or relegation between the conferences were going to be rebooted to start as they are this season. So it could have been okay, but we still we still thought the best way to keep things uh, as and a fine balance was keep the the the, the leagues competitive and keep them as competitive as we possibly could. And that is still our belief, that we would rather see teams playing to get into the linear... The most important thing is getting to the linear divisions the following season. And we think it is more important that we end up with proper balanced leagues when that does come about. But to, to answer your question, the, the proposal is now in the hands of our Drush and Winton Rovers, It'll be up to them to put the proposal out to the clubs, which, as you can see, they have done. They will then uh, bring it forward to John Dalton, the General Secretary, and ask him to put it on the agenda to be considered at the AGM. This will be then put to the clubs and they will be given the opportunity to vote on it. Uh, Our position will be that we will be asking the clubs to uh, vote for status quo. Can we just confirm when that AGM is, Kenny? Uh, it's early June. Early June. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I've got that many dates buzzing around about my head at the moment. I forget what actual date it is. I think we'll get that date and we'll put it in maybe in, in, a, in the show nearer the time. Yeah. In fact, Kenny, I'm sure you'll be back on at some stage because uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of things maybe to clear up between now and... Uh, there's, a, there's, a special gen, there's a special general meeting on the 29th of April which is only two weeks away. Uh, and, and obviously that we'll be discussing quite a number of things with the clubs and we'll be giving them the information uh, so that they, they can take these things forward uh, for the AGM. 
So there's there's quite a bit there's quite a bit going on, you know. But before we go, guys, can I just mention something that might be of interest to all the clubs? Uh, please be aware that when we do get contact training starting the 17th of May, which allows us to play friendlies, remember your players are signed with your own club, and if you're wanting to play players that you intend to sign for next season, you need to get them cleared of that registration. You can't just play players that don't belong to you at that moment in time. There's also the fact that some of the clubs let their insurance lapse when they decided they weren't going to be playing or taking part this season. So before they can get back to playing or training even, they're not covered by insurance. They need to get something in place so that they if anything happens at the training, they're covered by that insurance. And if anything happens during a friendly match, there's an insurance back up there to cover any eventuality. So please make sure your insurance is in order and make sure you're not playing players that should not be at your club at that moment in time when the friendlies start. And one final thing, Kenny, just touching on that. Will there be any proposals to, obviously we're going back early, to maybe change the registration process? So, so for example, New Mains want to sign a player that's maybe at a club just now, but he's, he's come to the end of his, his time at that club. Will there be, you know, that period be brought forward? Because I think the time it runs out, we've only got like two or three weeks before the start of the season. No, the, the, the registrations department will stick to the, the, the dates that they have, I would imagine. But I would like to think that the clubs will work with each another to yeah. make sure, you know, that we can get back to playing. I mean, normally we have a, a shutdown where all these deals get done uh, before we kick a ball again. But obviously we want guys back playing football at some level, whether if that's just a friendly, then fine. But it's important that you... You talk to each other and make sure the player is, uh, you've got permission to play that player or he's been freed uh, and, and then you can get him set. I think that it's the end of June and then you can get him signed up for the new season uh, in, in July. Kenny, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much again for, for coming on and uh, glad to hear we've got a start date that hopefully we can we can all work to now and hopefully hopefully it's the start of good things to come, Kenny. No problem. Thanks again, guys. My name is Brown Ferguson, manager of Linlithgow Rose, and you are listening to Down the Divisions. Now here's Roach's Roundup with Coburny Laidside assistant boss, Des Roach. We start this week's Roundup with the readily anticipated and pretty obvious move for Ashfield striker Callum Graham. He's decided to move over to the Southsiders Pollock. He scored an incredible 42 goals during season 2019 and 20 and his exploits caught the eyes of a number of clubs. However, it's Pollock being the ones to get the deal over the line. Staying in the West, in Gart Cairn, they've taken an innovative move by appointing former Lockheed, Montrose, Glasgow City, Motherwell and Celtic ladies manager of Eddie Wilecki Black as their director of football. Eddie's role will see him encompass the overseeing of the integrating of all the club's teams coming together, from the girls section up to and including Willie Kinnebra's men's senior team. Still in the West, there's been developments in the renaming of one of Glasgow's oldest clubs. Shettleson Juniors are potentially going to be changing to Glasgow United, 
they're exploring the possibility of selling their Greenfield Park home for a housing development while then taking on the lease of a brand new £5.5 million project that's taking part in a nearby public park, which would be their new home along with their burgeoning youth system and the girls' setup. Greenfield Park has been their playing home since 1933, so it's obviously not a decision being taken lightly. Up in League One, Forth Athletic, they've made quick moves after the resignation of manager and former defensive stalwart in pain in my ear, Stuart Malcolm, only kid Malky, and they've replaced him with the vastly experienced defender, Gary Irvin. He's been put in temporary charge until the end of the season, and his first recruit has been the highly regarded Tony Doherty as his first team coach. Doc's been a long-term trusted lieutenant of Derek McInnes, having been with him at St Johnston, Bristol, and most recently at Aberdeen, as well as having worked with the Scotland national team. Berwick Rangers boss Ian Little, he's added versatile forward Sean Stewart to his squad from Pennycook Athletic. Equal depth up top, or on the wing, Stewart has agreed a one-year deal. Finally, in the East, Bonus United have announced that they have submitted an application to join the East of Scotland League. They have had an inspection of Newtown Park already conducted and are now awaiting upon the approval by the member clubs for season 21-22. Hi, I'm Gordon Moffat. I'm the manager of Clyde Bank, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. We have the football mindset, John Johnston, with us this week. So, JJ, um, we've talked about your techniques. We've talked about how footballers, how, how managers can apply some of the things that you that you uh, you advise them on. It didn't start out for you that way, though, did it? I mean, it's, it's, it's not it's not what you've always done. And, and tell us a little bit about how you've you've got into this uh, this way of working. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't mind. It was more to do with taps and leaks to begin. Yes. So I left school at sixteen. No, I left school at seventeen to after I sat my hires and I became a plumber. So I done plumbing for nine years, and through that, I eventually became qualified as a personal trainer. To be fair, I had a few things going on in my life. Wasn't in a wasn't in a bad place, but wasn't in a great place. And I thought, being a plumber, I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I'm just, I remember sitting, so I worked for the local council, and I remember sitting in the van one day with my feet on the dashboard thinking, I could still be sitting here in 50 years. My feet could still be on this dashboard in the next 50 years. So at that point, I'm like, right, I want to do something in order to change it. Can I go more down the line off something that I wanted to do? So I'd always been into, obviously, the training through the football, the gym. And I went off to Manchester to become qualified as a personal trainer. So I went down there. I saved up all my half days. Used to get the bus from... I'd get somebody to drop me off early. And I'd go up to the bus station in Edinburgh on a Friday. I think it was about 12, half 12. And I think the bus to Manchester at that time took seven or eight hours. It was a complete safari. So I'd do the course of, of the weekend and I'd come back, I'd get back to Edinburgh in the morning, I think it was like half two, was it half two, two o'clock, my dad used to pick me up, I'd come back, I'd do plumbing at eight o'clock in the morning and then I just used to sort of recycle that and I started my own personal training business and then it got to a point, I was working with both of them I think for a couple of years, just getting up at five in the morning, studying doing sessions with clients so I used to reverse my mum and dad's car out the garage put AstroTurf down train someone kind of put it all back then go plumbing then again I'd come back repeat that at night but got to the point where people were coming to me for say weight to lose weight that was a common one and they were like I need a diet plan I need a training plan and I'm like have you had one of these before and they're like yes if I date or nine I'm like well what's going to make mine any different 
because I had a struggle on my hands I never knew the answer to at that point because I went away I got more educated on nutrition I got more educated on training and the results ah, if clients were losing weight initially but there would then be the rebound so I'm thinking well what's the answer here and I kind of stumbled across neuroscience so through, so, so through the neuroscience of coaching I started coaching people around the training nutrition uh, helping them stop smoking helping people with businesses around kind of neuroscience or how their brain worked and from there I've always been a football nut football daft uh, grew up having season books at Easter Road traveling down to Anfield and whatnot and obviously played and the information I had and the tools I was working with I thought this would work in football so I tried to get in with a football manager in order to kind of get in with them to put the tools and techniques I had through their club but it became pretty evident quite early doors that that probably wasn't going to happen. A manager might get six weeks, he might get six months, why so you got to take my methods and apply them. So I'm then like, well, the manager would give them to the players, so let's go directly to the players. So at that point, I had a message, I had a way working, um, I had belief in my system and that that I'd created, and I'm, but I was like, I've got no results. So what I'd done is I just went round, I used to throw the TV in the back of the car, I went round all the local clubs, uh, grassroots clubs, I used to work with the local grassroots clubs for free. Um, I worked for the parents, worked for the kids. I used to go and do talks for pub teams, amateur teams, kind of even like see your junior teams and whatnot. I used to talk to anybody that would allow me to go and kind of go and speak. But no, just that I was. I remember one. I was I drove through to Livingston and again I'd done it free charge just to get more experience and it was a girls under thirteen rhythmic gymnastics club and I'm I've still got pictures. I'm standing there talking and these are the methods I'm trying or I am now putting into professional football and it, whether it was MMA whether it was I've even stood in the local local rugby club and I got a phone call. Would you do the first team talk of the season? I do not understand the rules. And I'm like, right, cool. So I said to the manager, I'll meet you there. He's like, I'll not be there, I'm working. I'm like, no bother, I'll meet your assistant there. He's like, oh, he's on holiday. <laughs> I says, well, who's got to be there to meet? Oh, the third coach will be there. So I'm standing in the middle of this, <laughs> in the middle of this uh, changing room for the rugby, no sure of what the rules are, given this team talk. <laughs> I think back now, ain't it? Matt, it could have been a John Smith's advert. 100% could have been a John Smith's advert. <laughs> so whilst I was doing all that, and it must have been, I remember a former professional speaking to him and he says to me, no footballer will ever pay you for what you've got. Try cricket, try golf. And I was like, all right. So after that, I ended up, I got a meeting at Hamden with somebody at Hamden and they're like, I presented to them, they're like, your methods need to go into every club in Scotland. And to be fair, they offered absolute zero help in doing that. And I remember sitting in that meeting and Kenny Dalgleish and Graham Souris walked in and that's my one regret. I never stood up. The meeting hadn't quite started, but it was in the Costa Coffee at Hamden. So in that big area, I never got to Costa. And I never stood up. I never introduced myself. I never went across. And that's one thing I look back and I'm like, because what came of that meeting was absolutely nothing. It was hot smoke. It was hot. And I'm just like, I can't believe I never introduced myself. However, moving on for that, I was chipping away and it must have been six, 800 messages before a player says, I'll work with you um, and I took my first client on board I think it was July 2017 and was John Souter so I worked with John for a couple of years obviously went on to make his Scotland debut but working with John I then started working with guys like Chris Cadden you've mentioned Greg Docherty there Scott Wright 
and recently um, I've made a bit of a breakthrough in England so working with guys that are playing down south and whether it's League 1 whether it's League 2 guys that have played in the Premier League in England um, and it's just I say it's just sort of come for a bit of hard work and graft and having some belief you say a bit of hard work and a bit of belief, but you I mean you've travelled and you've 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 done you could be on a lot lot of courses and I mean from speaking to you, <coughs> the passion is clearly there, but it's this passion borderline obsession almost. Would that be fair in terms of your oh, your, your, your fascination with this subject? Absolutely obsessed with it, hundred percent. I've as I say, I've always been a football nut, always been football daft, and I'm absolutely obsessed with it. And the the guys that I work with, I absolutely love working with them and. It's a privilege to be fair. You're working with guys in the morning, eh, or you're kind of helping guys in the lead up to Scottish Cup finals, international debuts, and that. And for for them and for their family, it's absolutely massive. But I've I've went to Thailand for courses. I've spent a bit of time with the strength and conditioning coach of the All Blacks in Dublin, um, gone down to London and whatnot for courses. So I've travelled here, there, and everywhere for courses. And ah, it's been see, it's certainly not been easy to get to this point, but there's that there's that belief and I just had see I've got a way of working I wouldn't I'm certainly I'm no psychologist so I wouldn't call myself a psychologist I probably label myself a mental skills coach but I'm just someone who helps footballers understand why they think and feel the way that they do and what they need to do in order to change it and it's funny you're all you mentioned traveling there and I've I'll never reveal the name of the guy in the book, but I, I tell a story in a book. So I wrote to all the Scottish managers that were managing in England at one point. And one guy came back and says, oh, come down and spend time with me. So got in the car. So I was driving down to Shrewsbury. Now, to get to Shrewsbury, you've got, or to Shrewsbury, you've got to go from Scotland to England, into Wales and back into England. So I'd booked a hotel and whatnot the night before. So I'd done the drive-in, umpteen hours, booked a hotel the night before. I got into the, I got into the club, because uh, managers like, come down and watch training. And I got in, and honestly, within the first five minutes, uh, same five minutes, probably three minutes, I'm sitting on this leather couch in the manager's office, and he's like, you'll need to stop swearing. And I'd never revealed the name of the guy in the book, but it was Mickey Mellon. So about two, three minutes in, he's like, you're going to have to stop swearing. And I just, I, I apologise now, but I'm just, when I get passionate, that's one thing I do swear, and that probably goes back to the plumbing days. It's not something I've tried to change. It's probably something I won't change. But I, he, and uh, it's funny because Mickey has now written a book, and uh, I've got, I've got contact because one of the first uh, managers or coaches I met was Steve Frail. So he was again, he was one that I'd met through through social media and whatnot so they took a couple of books off me and obviously i purchased mickey's book and i uh, it's quite funny because they'd sent me a nice text and whatnot and he says make sure you're not swearing but uh, aye that that was a great day and just wee insights like that and um, just going down spending time nothing came of it nothing was kind of in it for me but you go down you buy a hotel and you get access to somebody like that and ways of working like that and just all those wee kind of experiences hopefully lead you to helping the guys that you work with just that wee bit better i just wanted to touch on the fact john Souter. you said was the first guy after you'd sent hundreds of messages these messages you were sending on what like instagram and, and social media sites and john eventually came back to you number one could you believe it was john Souter when he came back to you after having so much rejection and number two what is a guy i know you can't obviously betray any confidence but just generally speaking you know these guys are the top of their game is it just refining things? And was, was John 
was John just wanting to try and get incremental gains in any aspect of his game that he could? Yeah, so with the, the contact with players, I've, listen, I've sent letters to clubs, I've sent letters to changing rooms. Um, I remember Hibs play Trinent every year, Trinent Juniors in a friendly. I remember knocking on Neil Lennon's window um, when he was reversing out with Asda, speaking to him for five or ten minutes. Um, and the things that I've done, the people I've introduced myself to and where I've done it, it probably doesn't follow the book, but sometimes you get one chance and you've kind of got to take it. But through, whether it was social media, messaging people, emailing, uh, writing letters, and again, a funny story on that, I remember meeting Stephen Presley. He was sitting in the Orium. Scotland were training that day, and I was at a networking event, and... um. Scotland were training that day and this networking event also done a tour around the Orium so I'm like no what I'll just jump on the tour came back and Stephen Presley's sitting there so I was speaking away to Stephen and I must have asked him to keep contact or that he's like there's my email address send me an email and I'll reply I'm like cool no bother and then again I think that one was the the reply was stuck in the post somewhere or was stuck in the email chain somewhere and for over a year now I've been working with Stephen's son Aaron Presley at Brentford and then he messaged me the other week to say, my dad's got your email, it's been sitting in his junk for four years. But again, <laughs> it just shows you how sort of how small the world is. And then when John replies, um John was one that he came and he just wanted to he wanted to tick every box. John's one that he's meticulous in what he does. John he eats well, John mentally he's very strong. His recovery is very strong, all those kind of things. And when you look at without doubt he's had his injury struggles recently that's what probably makes it tougher is the fact of if John was cutting corners every week if John was cutting corners with what he does every day I'm not saying you deserve to be injured through that but you can maybe understand whereas when you've got someone that is meticulous as John whether it's he's using masseurs whether it's his diet whether it's obviously investing in mental skills coaching at some point John does every single thing right. So to see what the struggles he's went through and can he touch wood, he's now at the other side once again. It's it's tough, but it's also a credit to him that, like say, where he's got back to um, and the performances he's now putting in once again. Hi, my name is Jamie Nesbitt, manager of Thornwood United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the down the divisions decider. Right, we'll see if you're right here, JJ. Uh, I'm looking for the club whose founding fathers were employees of the local colliery. They joined the East of Scotland League in 1979 and won it for each of their first four seasons. They faced Celtic in the 95-96 Scottish Cup. And they joined the Lowland League in 2013, but were relegated back to the East of Scotland League six years later. I, for the club, I'm not actually sure who the club is, but I'm thinking that the Scottish Cup tie against Celtic was played at Easter Road. Now, I could be way off with that, but I'm sure I remember one of these Scottish Cup ties when I was younger um, played at Easter Road. As for the team... That's, not, that's the question, JJ. It wasn't what state yeah, was it? Was um, not sure. It's certainly not, like, say, when the year you're saying founded, it wouldn't be a knit in there, obviously, a lot older than that, Newton Grange, I think. But what is the answer? Put me out of my misery. Well, I'll, I'll throw it over to uh, 
I'm now going to go Newton Grange because my dad, as I said, works, volunteers in the mining museum. I'm sure it's Newton Grangey. It is. So is I'm that, just your, is the back that your final answer, Paul? Is it Newton Grange? Is it Newton? Is that just off the bypass, isn't it? Uh, just off Sheriff Hall, not too far off Sheriff Hall. I'm going to go with Newton Grange then. Um, right, well, you, you're right that the game against Celtic was played at Easter Road in freezing conditions. Wasn't Vale leaving or something? No. It was yeah. White, White, Hill Welf- White Hill Welfare. They lost 3 0. Yeah, I yeah. know. Uh, no, that makes sense. Mad. But it's easy when you know the answer, eh? <laughs> 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 JJ, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, as, uh, hopefully, for our listeners, we've had uh, plenty of helpful thinking rather than positive thinking based on what you said earlier. It's been really uh, really interesting to listen to your thoughts. Hopefully, there are some players and managers and even fans who can take something from from what you've said tonight. Your book that's out, as I say, is Master Your Confidence. It's available on uh, on Amazon. But appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you for having me and even the back and forth. I love that. Hearing from like to yourself and Paul with his input, it's, I think that's what it's all about. Brilliant. But no, thank you for having me on. Cheers, JJ. Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer or video editor. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com, or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions.